0: Well, uh, reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. It's a good passage for an annual meeting. Um, Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians, and he thanks God his Father uh, for their faith and love. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I've not stopped giving thanks for you. This Ephesian community is a community of people who love God and who love one another. And Paul thinks of who they have at the very centre of their lives. He writes, when I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus. When I look at the Christians in Bury St Edmunds, and specifically at St Peter's and at St Mary's, I see so much to give thanks for your love for the word of God, your desire that Christ will be preached and made known, your prayer for each other, for other Christians, for people in all places. So many of you are so prayerful. For your love for each other, the care and support that you show, the the small groups, your hospitality and your generosity, your willingness to serve, your commitment to God's standards, your welcome of newcomers, and your desire to see our churches grow so that the name of Jesus is exalted. And I do give thanks. I do give thanks for your faith and for your love. But Paul also prays for the Christians in Ephesus. It is what I would call one of the really big prayers of the Bible. We tend to pray little prayers. Little prayers are usually focused on this life. God help me out. God heal me or those I love. God make this go well. God give me wisdom in a particular situation. And perhaps we pray that those we love may be happy, fulfilled, wealthy, or healthy even. Paul's prayer, though, is a big prayer, because it's not so much a prayer for the Ephesian believers here and now. Paul does pray those sorts of prayers. He prays on one occasion that strength will be given to him when he's in prison, and courage to speak the message. He prays that God would take away a thorn in his flesh, whatever that is. But this is a big prayer, because it's a prayer for them for eternity, And I'm only focusing on the first few verses of this prayer because it's a prayer which begins in verse 17, gets interrupted at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, where Paul gets carried away describing the grace of God, is resumed again at chapter 3, verse 1, but is immediately broken off again and completed in chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. (coughs) And as we rededicate ourselves... This is a good prayer. It's a good prayer to pray for each other and for ourselves. And Paul prays firstly that we may get to know our Father God better. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That really is what we are all about. We're on a journey Seeking to get to know God better. We are sons, if we've received Jesus, we're sons and daughters of God, but we need to grow in that relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to grow in that deep, intimate knowledge of God. It's it's the old language, biblical language, that was so strongly used at the time of the Reformation and since, the the language of justification and sanctification. We are justified, we are put right with God when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus and receive what he has done. We are, as as Paul writes in Ephesians, at that point lifted in the heavenly places. So God sees us in Jesus. But actually, that's only the beginning. There's the sanctification process, that process by which we become holy. To grow in our knowledge of God it's not really though about growing in our knowledge about god it includes that this is more about growing in knowledge of god in heart knowledge personal knowledge encounter knowledge it's about growing in faith in trusting him more loving him more it is gift it comes from the spirit that's why paul prays it's the spirit who shows us our need for god who shows us the love of God, who helps us to see God at work. Do you remember when Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, you know, teacher, we see that the works you are doing come from God. And Jesus says to him, nobody can see, even see God at work unless they're born again. It is the spirit of revelation who helps us to see that all things come from God. And belong to God. It's the spirit who cries out from within our spirit to God and enables us to call him father. It's the spirit who pulls the love of God into our hearts. It's the spirit who gives us a love for his word, a love for his people, and ultimately a love for God. So with Paul we might pray for that spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might get to know our father better. And that means That we must attend to the inner life, to the heart life. Verse 2 speaks of the eyes of the heart. That involves spending time in prayer. Those of us who are activists, we have to stop. We have to sit down and be still. Because otherwise, all our activity can be just a displacement. For actually spending time and getting to know Father God better. It's about reading his word, regular worship. Going on things like retreats, humbling ourselves and doing what we don't want to do. Making ourselves accountable, making ourselves less so that others become more. It's about costly obedience. It's about cherishing the inner life, seeking that spirit of God. And secondly, Paul prays that we may know the hope to which he calls us. I think the next bit of the verse expands on this. In verse 18, Paul writes, The hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, some say the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, the hope is the hope to which he has called us. Other commentators don't. They think that Paul is praying two things here. We would know the hope and we would know how precious the saints, all of us, in our uniqueness and difference and rich diversity are to God. And since I didn't have time to plumb for one or the other, I'm simply going to focus on the first bit that Paul prays that we would know the hope to which God calls us. You see, we are now people, but we're also then people. We live in the now in the light of the then. Paul's already spoken of our hope in the first few verses of this chapter. In Christ, we are holy and blameless in his sight, but we long for that day when we really are holy and blameless. We long for the day when we will see him as he is, and as John says, we will become like him. Or as this prayer finishes at the end of chapter 3, when we know the love of God and are filled with all the fullness of God. We long for the day which verse 22 speaks of when all things in heaven and earth, natural things, created things, animals, nature, will be brought together in their rightful place under the authority of Christ. I'm now going to be incredibly controversial. I can't help reading the Green Manifesto and saying yes, yes to so much that is there. But I have to say, it's the same reaction that I had when, as a teenager, I read the Communist Manifesto, with the exception of the anti-God bit. Yes, we long for a society that is fair and equal, where everyone has the same opportunities, wherever they live, not just in this part of the globe, where there are no nuclear weapons, And human beings live in harmony with nature. But there is one major problem. Human sinfulness, corruption and greed. It affects even the clearest of visionaries. And so when they tried to turn the communist vision into reality, it failed. I know because we lived for two years at the tail end of that dream. What was meant to bring liberty to people brought slavery. What was meant to bring paradise brought the terror of the labor camps. And what was meant to bring equality brought hypocrisy and deep injustice. As Christians, we do believe in the vision of a fair and equal world, where there is a justice, abundance, security, where the young and the old, black and white, people from each of the continents, live as a common humanity, And together we live in harmony with nature. Read Isaiah, study Isaiah, and look at his vision for the coming kingdom. And yes, we should live in the light of that. We should work and struggle for that because we know that the kingdom is coming. Maybe we should even vote green. But we must realize that we will not see that vision of the world fulfilled, that type of society instituted, until the king of the kingdom comes. So I pray we may know our hope, the hope of resurrection and transformation, not just for us but for all of creation. It is a hope which will inspire our work, whether that is for you, the call to get involved in politics, The call to some work which seeks to put right an injustice, whether that's gross inequality, anti-trafficking, seeking the freedom of those who are slaves. Rosemary Morris here is very involved in the Dalit Freedom Network. Working with orphans in Zimbabwe or providing support for refugees in Syria. Protecting against environmental abuse. Providing a foster home helping those in debt, working with those with learning disabilities. But because that vision can only be finally fulfilled when the king comes, please do not let us turn our work into our God or our cause into our God. Do not build our lives on it because we will only become deeply frustrated and disillusioned or we will become highly judgmental and puritanical prescriptive and aggressive but if we place our work under the authority of the coming king then even if we don't see any results we know that the work that we do is not in vain one day God will take that work and use it I don't know how but he will to bring about that glorious or as part of that glorious transformation on that day when history as we know it ends and Jesus returns as judge and Lord. And then he will establish his kingdom of justice, rightness, harmony and peace when there will be no more sickness, suffering or death. And thirdly, Paul prays that we may know the power of God, that immeasurable greatness of his power For us who believe, verse 19. Paul tells us about this power. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead and lifted him to the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. It's the power which will draw all things to Christ. It's the power, actually, of love. This is the power which brings life to spiritually dead people and which raises us so that we are seated in Christ in the heavenly places. This is the power which transforms us so that we become what we already are holy, righteous, full of love and peace and joy, patience and kindness. But getting a bit more practical, this is the power which means that when we seek God, He opens the door of our coming kingdom and gives us glimpses of His coming, glimpses of the future life, maybe in healings. This is the power that enables us to persevere when the going gets tough. Remember, Paul is writing this letter as a prisoner. It's the power that enables us to keep on going when we're weary, tired, and drained. When I was at Ridley, I um, used to go out to a neighboring village where there was this, um, uh, all I can describe him was a saint, a man called Ken Hooker. He was in his 80s been an Anglican minister for many many years and um, Ken used to say how Sunday after Sunday he would preach his heart out at the end he would go home and he would say I've given everything I've got nothing else to give and the following week he would have another message and that provision by God I talk about that as preaching, but you, I hope and pray, will know it in your own work, spheres of work, in your own spheres of ministry. You know whether that's with little fishes, probably Rosie gets over, or drained and think, I can't do this another week. And yet there's the strength. Or Penny with the ladies choir, or all the various work that she's doing. Or oh, I've just picked on two people because I've seen them there. <laughs> um, but, 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 but you know how it is. It's that power that is there for us when we seek him. It's the power which releases us to praise. That's one that I think that really speaks to me, this need to say, actually, you know, I can be very cynical. Actually, this is the power which can come and break that cynicism and enable me to start to praise. It's the power which emboldens us to speak of Jesus, even when there is hostility, which equips us to serve and give sacrificially, It's the power which promises to keep us if or when we suffer for our faith. It's the power which doesn't always do wonderful things, but which does bring us proud and stubborn human beings onto our knees to that place of desolation, maybe even, but through that to ultimate dependence on God. I pray for us as a parish, as churches, that we will know more of this power. I pray this coming year that we will see people coming to him, being converted. We will see people growing in love and changing. We will see people stepping up to the mark in order to serve in new ways for him. Of course, we pray the little prayers. Well, actually, they're quite big prayers. Praying for a house for Nick really important we pray for that maybe a house for nick or a vicarage close to st mary's for ourselves so that he can then have the house we're living in pray for provision for our youth work pray for healing for people like matt or for mike michael or for others who we know pray for financial provision pray for new growth but with paul we are also invited to pray the big prayers that we will know our God and Father better, that we will know the hope that he gives us, together with all the saints, those whom he has called and those who are yet to respond to his call, and that we will know the power of God at work in us and through us. May God bless us this coming year as we rededicate ourselves in his service. Amen.